on episode 24 of the InsureTech Geek Podcast, talking about cyber insurance and cybersecurity with Sid Gavarini from Zuguro. InsureTech Geek Podcast, powered by JB Knowledge, is all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. We'll be interviewing guests and doing deep dives into specific technology we see changing the industry. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech, so enjoy the ride and geek out. You know, there are songs about summertime, and I'm convinced they were written by people who did not live in the South in the summer. You know what I mean? Summertime. It's like, that wasn't written by a Southerner. Because the Southerner's just saying, how do I get out of the heat, right? Like, they're not singing songs about summer. Right, Rob? I mean, come on. Yeah, so, you know, I, I grew up in Michigan. A lot of our, our listeners know that. And I was always outside every day during the summer, right? Because summers in Michigan are beautiful, but they last for two months and the winters last six months. And when I moved to Texas, like I'd be in the middle of summer, I'd be like laying down in the grass. People are like, what are you doing? It's a hundred degrees. You got fire ants everywhere. Like this is not the time to lounge around. So it's, it's taken me years, but yeah, like spring and, and, and fall, like those are the times that yeah. I'm out, right? Early morning or late evening and in, in, in the summer is not bad either, but yeah, during the day, definitely stick it inside. Summer yeah, heat just Texas. not right now. That's the thing. Not right now. Now, I, I will say, of course, you know, I bail out on the Texas heat. You know, Rob and I have the, the Michigan-Texas connection. He was born in Michigan. I married into Michigan. But I come up here in the summertime. I'm here at 74 today. It is nice. And there's no fire ants. They don't have a concept of fire ants. It's hilarious. I People walk around barefoot in grass here all the time. In Texas, that's a death sentence. You can't do that there. It's wild. Ah, I don't. I don't know. Now we have a guest here who grew up in a small village of India, <laughs> not so small village of eight million people. Sid Gavarini. Sid, how are you doing today? I, I'm doing fantastic. Enjoying the summer here. In yeah. San Francisco. Well, San Francisco is pretty nice in the summertime. I mean, it can get cool and foggy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you see all of these tourists from Europe in their shorts and t-shirts lining up outside Uniqlo trying to buy a jacket. Yeah. That's that's summer. Yeah. Except no tourists right now. Nope. Not not so much for the tourism today. Yeah. Everybody's kind of hanging out the house. Is it is it locked down there? So it's currently as we record this, it's July 17th, 2020. We're middle of coronavirus. So if you're listening to this two years from now and you're going through our back catalog, you can, you know, if the world's not in a total nuclear meltdown by the time you're listening to this and you're listening to it on like the last vestiges of your your iPod that still has some power left on it before the whole world collapses, you can kind of giggle about coronavirus. But uh, right now we're in the middle of it. No one's going anywhere. Is Calif- California's back on lockdown? Is that what I hear? Well, to some extent, I think some counties are. Yeah. San Francisco County, I think right here. Restaurants are open, but only for outside seating. There you go. But then counties like Alameda, they close them back up. So Tell you what, people, be an easy ride. people who invested in outdoor seating, geniuses. Geniuses. And what a time. You know what's been interesting? I've been, uh, we're all about the same age. We're in our early 40s, you know, we're all kind of around the same generation. And we've gotten to watch the world without the internet. And now we see a world with the internet. 
in the in our teenage years, right, is when the internet commercializes. And uh, we get to watch the dot-com boom and subsequent bust. Then we get to see the rise and advent of mobile devices. And we arrive at this point in time where a really badass individual, Elon Musk, is launching a ton of crap into space, including hundreds of communication satellites that he's going to interconnect the world with a global multi-gig network, which said you've got to be a little bit excited about. I know I am. Pretty much everything Elon does is like, holy crap, did he just do that, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And he's in your neck of the woods. Of course, he says he's leaving your neck of the woods and coming to our neck of the woods, but that's beside the point. And then you and then you have uh, you know Steve Jobs in 2007, pioneers the iPhone and creates a mobile world. And, and then we have you know 4G, now 5G, all of these technologies converging in the year 2020. 5G, satellite connectivity, really powerful mobile devices, LiDAR on iPads now. I have a new iPad with LiDAR. It's amazing, which is going to be huge for claims. Like, we'll talk about that sometime. We'll talk about why (laughs) LiDAR on an iPad is great for claims. Like, not cyber claims. Like, that's not going to help you. But but it's great for property claims, great for auto claims. Right, Rob? If you can laser scan what you're – I mean, holy crap. I mean, there, there's just all this is coming together at once. And then we get hit with we get hit with another pandemic. The last one, 100 years ago, my great grandfather died in it. It was pretty, pretty wild pandemic, far more lethal than this one, far, much higher, much higher fatality rate. But we have this convergence of technology. And I feel like InsureTech has this amazing convergence of technology that led to a bunch of digital MGAs, like you said, that are really upending you're upending traditional carriers but you, your investors are traditional carriers and you're backed by traditional carriers so you're you're upending them but you're really you're really forcing change on them from the outside right they're partnering with you to change themselves rather than changing from within and so you're doing all this crazy stuff in insurtech at the same time in the in the outside world the retail consumer world there's this sea change going on right now where all these mobile delivery services and order everything online and i mean what, what's really crazy for me, Sid, and I'd be interested in your thoughts before we get into your background, you know, the retail apocalypse was already happening. I mean, it was already happening, but it's it just got literally the, you know, the world just put its foot on the gas on the retail apocalypse. And so we have just hundreds of retail stores closing permanently, which obviously impacts insurance, right? This is going to impact insurance in a big way. And, and everyone moving in mass to buying things online and having them delivered. I mean, Sid... We're, we're, we're within months of being born at the exact same time. Have you ever seen such a transformational period in your lifetime? No, not at all. I think this, this is definitely one of those un- really unprecedented times, as I've said, uh, at least in my lifetime. 40 years is still you know, not, not, not that old, but in this short lifetime, this is the first time I'm seeing anything like this. The dot-com boom was great. It was in a different direction versus where... It's right now. Both are leading to more online usage and internet usage, but the scale is quite different. Yeah, this is like, you know, I thought it was big, Rob, when everyone moved to high-speed internet, right? We're talking about like the late 90s, early 2000s. We rolled off dial-up onto high-speed. And then we thought it was big when mobile devices really smart mobile devices came out with the advent of Android and the iPhone in 2006 to 2009. But those were multi-year transformational periods, Rob. This is this is like a three-month uh, crash course in transition. Yeah, no, you're right. And I think you're, you're really touching on something, James, where 
it's accelerating so many trends that were already there that probably would have taken years to play out and it's just compressed them overnight, right? And it's just accelerated. And so I, I do, I agree with Sid. I think this is unprecedented. We use that term a lot, <laughs> but yeah, there's no doubt. I think we'll look back and, and just the sea change, both from a societal standpoint, as well as a technology standpoint. And you know, again, the, the term new normal, right, has been overused a, a ton, but absolutely, right? I think, you know, whatever we get past this virus, we're not going back to the old ways of life. Some will return, hopefully, right? Yeah. Meeting people in person, being able to dine inside again, but not everything is coming back. And so, yeah, and, and obviously the longer this plays out, the farther we're going to be from our pre-virus life. Yeah, you know, I just I just extended my lease. I have a few leases around the world on an office space, and I said, you know, I'll extend it for a year. And the guy was like, I want three years. I'm like, you're not getting a three year lease extension. <laughs> I said, I'll give you a year. Like, I don't even know if we're going to work. In, you know, I don't know. I don't know what I don't know what we're, we're going to do. I'm not. I'm not even. I'm. I'm not even going to pretend to understand what we're going to do. You know what I mean? Like, I. I don't. I. It's really interesting, Sid. And and when I look at insurance, brokers are are having a hard time with this time right now because they really like face to face lunches. You know, I. I even had to like turn some brokers down. Like they they really wanted to have. I'm like, guys, I'm not going to. I'm not going to have a face to face meeting with you. We're going to have to. We're going to have to close this business right now. Like this. It's a really transformational time. So let's let's talk about. And I know I don't like using those. These not now they're used up cliches at this point already because they were used so often but but it but it is true you know 1919 altered the planet we just don't remember it because it was our great grandparents but it did it altered the planet this is much better documented because we have social media logging everybody's daily life you know we have like a handful of photographs from then <laughs> so it's 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 interesting said I want I want to talk about you for a second you grew up in Hyderabad city of 8 million over in India, you came over and you did a couple of degrees here, I think, and uh, you you've you've gotten involved in a really interesting side of the business that I got involved in for a few years, and that's cybersecurity. I did I did my time in pen testing and fixing applications. I was paid to I was I was a white hat guy. I was paid to break into systems and then fix them. My favorite systems to break into were always the HR systems. Loved breaking into HR systems. Uh, I would go in and change the HR director's title to chief jerkwad or something like that in the HR system and you know all all kinds of fun things you can do. I I broke into all kinds of fun HR systems like SAP HR and others. I mean there you know there's a lot of you know 2000 this was 99 2000 2001 cybersecurity literally wasn't even a word that we used like it, it was like security was kind of something we generally talked about at price waterhouse we had a practice i was in a brand new practice called sas that i had to rebrand later because sas became something else but it was it was a security practice walk me through childhood in hyderabad what did you want to do growing up like, what, do, you, do you want to be a firefighter, policeman? Like, what, what do you want to do? And then why did you come to the States? What did you study? How did you wind up in InsurTech? Yeah, I never dreamed that I would be in insurance growing up. I don't think anyone Nobody does. does. <laughs> no one does. And I had absolutely no idea what insurance was up until I bought my first car, I guess, and had no idea till then. So growing up, you know, I had all these dreams. First, I wanted to be a doctor. I could do some cool things being a doctor. I didn't know what that meant. But everyone was like, well, well, maybe it will take you forever to be a doctor. You have to study way too much. You have to work way too hard. I was like, okay, well, I'll be an engineer. I'll be a chemical engineer. I love chemicals, playing around with those. And then it's like, well, you might never make enough money. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, okay. 
the next cool thing is to be a computer engineer. And there I was. But in my undergrad, my last year project was about a firewall. And I had no idea about cybersecurity till then, till, as you mentioned, it wasn't a term used as much at the time. So I did that project and that, that really was when I was just fascinated by the whole concept. So after undergrad, decided to move to the U.S. for my master's, move to Kansas, all the way from Hyderabad to a tiny little... That is, that is hilarious. So, so India comprises the largest foreign student population at Texas A&M. Little old college station, Texas. We have 1,100 students from India. And I get to hang out with them. I'm part of a program called Prem Milan, which feeds them once a month and we hang out. And I get to see them, you know... Fresh, fresh off the airplane, right? I mean, they, they come off the airplane, they, they come, and, and their eyes are really wide, and they're in this little town in the middle of the pastures of Texas, you know? And, I mean, this had to be culture shock to go from Hyderabad to, I mean, Kansas. University of Kansas is a beautiful campus, mind yeah, you. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh, it's awesome. I mean, I, I just got to go there a couple of years ago to speak at a conference there. I mean, wow. But it had to be culture shock for you. Yes and no. So, you know... Hyderabad is not a tiny, tiny little No, it's a huge city. So growing up, it was, you know, I grew up on American television and movies and British television. So so to me, going to Kansas was like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is what I've seen on TV and in movies. Not exactly like that. I mean, there no, no one jumping off of cliffs or anything, but it's a flat line. But it was, it was fun. It was exciting, for sure to say the least. That's awesome. So, tiny town. so you're there getting your, your master's of uh, computer engineering, networking security at UK. Yep. What, what led you from that? You, you ended up going to IE business school, international MBA, did some exchange work at Dartmouth. I mean, what was the path like and what, how'd you wind up in insurance from there? Yeah. So after Kansas, I started, you know, being the typical coder, but in cybersecurity and quickly realized that I do and did enjoy a lot of the business side of things, the strategic aspects. So quickly at my first job at Mitel Networks, I started leading their oral product security strategy uh, instead of just being the uh, coder there. And with my fascination about business, I was like, yep, it's time, time for me to quit. I have enough experience. I'll go move to Spain for a bit, uh, get my MBA there. And why not? I lived in a few other countries. So it was time to try something new. So got my MBA. And after that, I was trying to figure out the best combination or the place for tech and business. And obviously, San Francisco comes to the top of the list. Moved here with my two suitcases and a secondhand used car and decided to start a life here. And when I moved here, I was a strategy consultant for companies like Symantec, McAfee, still in the security realm and ended up at Polycom, the telecom company. At Polycom, I was leading their oral product portfolio and innovation management, but was also on their information security goal. And as any company would have it, they had a data breach, typical spear phishing attack. Yep. All employee data sent out. And that's when I started working with the cyber insurance company. And that was my exposure to cyber insurance. So never dreamed of it. And here I am. That's awesome. You know, and, and what, look, I, my grandmother was an immigrant from Nicaragua, by, you know, kind of Poland through Nicaragua to here in the United States. And then, you know, I had a, my other grandmother was from France. 
I, I love talking about immigration stories. I'm, I'm, you know, we, we, we have a huge contingent of our, of our, of our employee population that's in Latin America. I have a ton of friends in India. It's, it's fascinating to watch the movement of people around the world and what they're doing. In particular, the rise of Indians in tech has been amazing to watch. And I, this is something we haven't gotten to talk about on the show. I just want to mention this in case you're in InsureTech and you haven't looked up. <laughs> CEO of IBM, CEO of IBM, Arvind Krishna is, okay, let's keep going. CEO of Google, Sundar Pichai. CEO of Microsoft, Satya Nadella, who, by the way, other than Bill Gates, my favorite person at Microsoft is Satya Nadella. I am a huge fan of his. He's brought tech back at Microsoft. You got the sales guy out <laughs> and got the engineer in the C-suite there. Let's keep going. I mean, CEO of Adobe, CEO of MasterCard, CEO of Arista Networks, right? Don't forget about her. That's Jayshree Ulal. Uh, CEO of Nokia, Rajiv Suri. CEO of NetApp, George Kurian. CEO of Palo Alto Networks, who you've got to be a fan of Palo I'm hoping you're a fan of Palo Alto. Makes some of the best security devices on the planet. Nikesh Arora. You know, Dinesh Palawi, the CEO of Harman International. You can keep going. Sanjay Marota, the CEO of Micron. It's been a really amazing transition over the last, and it's really been the last decade, that these guys were senior vice presidents or vice president at their organization, and they rose to the CEO spot very quickly. Where you're, And so this has got to be exciting for you to see your fellow countrymen and women come over and really kick butt in tech. Oh, yeah. I mean, for sure. It's it's amazing. As you mentioned, it's been this trend in the last 10 years or so. It's surprisingly good to see. I yeah. didn't really expect it as much, but you know, that's, that's happening. A big part of that really comes from the competition back in India. I remember growing up, I, my classes would start at 4 a.m. in the morning. Wow. So it's just studying all day long. That's that's all we did. And that's to compete against the billion other people. So you end up just working hard, just learning a ton. And when you are in some place else, yep, you need to prove that everything that you've done and learned is useful. So it's almost Darwinian, you're saying. Like it's the survival of the fittest. You 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 come out of this billion, you know, this one billion person ultra competitive scenario and it, and it prepares you well to come over and really kick butt. Yep. Yeah. Man, that's awesome. It does. So before, before I hand it over to Rob, I just want you to, to describe you're a digital MGA, right? So you're, mm-hmm. you're an MGA, but you also, you don't just partner with cybersecurity professionals. You are cybersecurity professionals. And we're seeing folks like coalition that offer, cybersecurity services, but they offer it from partner companies of theirs. Whereas Mm -hmm. you are actually, your staff is doing the cybersecurity assessments, threat detection, pen testing. You're doing the cybersecurity services and you're, as an MGA, through your carrier partners, providing the paper to cover cyber events. Yes, that is right. So we see ourselves as this holistic cyber risk management company, not one or the other, not a cybersecurity company and not just a cyber insurance company. And that's because at the end, everything needs to be connected. And that's that's who we are. So with our focus on smaller businesses who have absolutely no idea about cybersecurity, it's about making security and insurance approachable and easy. And that's that's our mission. Yeah, that's awesome. Rob? Yeah, I wanted to to keep going a little bit more on that theme, Sid, because this is something that we see 
kind of happening in the insure tech space where I described this way, right? Insurance is a feature, right? Not necessarily the end product in and of itself. And so, you know, sometimes the way I phrase it is, hey, our company is going to offer you, you know, benefits A, B, and C. And if the worst happens, right? Worst case scenario, we have this insurance component to, right, to help you out, right? To recover from yes. loss, et cetera. But we don't hope you ever get to that point. And we're going to help you, right, prevent those losses from happening and, and through some of these services. Is that similar, I guess, to what you guys are doing at Zagoro? And, and maybe you can even kind of share with our audience a little bit of history on cyber insurance. So relative to a lot of other lines, both in the personal line space and commercial, right? Like cyber is a relatively new line and I feel like it's really matured a lot of the last decade. So maybe you can talk a little bit about the history of cyber, but then kind of continue on a little bit of exactly where you were going of what makes you guys different. Yeah, cyber insurance, I believe is about about 20 years old. So in the insurance world with hundreds of years of history this is this is a baby it's a newborn and it's still growing drastically because the industry is still nascent and the adoption is still quite low so i think the first cyber insurance policy ever written was called internet security liability policy and of course that's changed over time but when the first policy was written it sure was very expensive because no one really knew what this was about they're like yep Looks like this company needs it. They need to be protected in some form or other. We don't know what we are writing here. So let's jack up the price and we'll sell it. Someone's buying it. So sure. Yeah. And when that happened, more and more companies started looking for this product. And as it goes, demand and supply. There's demand, supply went up. And as that happened, the capacity went up. So the premium started going down. And over time, once people or insurance companies started seeing these breaches, they realized that, well, okay, it's time for us to jack up the premiums again because you know we don't want these breaches. Or even if we have breaches, we need to be able to pay for it. And it's this cycle that still keeps going on where the premiums, the risk, and the pricing is still very arbitrary. We see so many inconsistencies across different products, different cyber products. A good example is where even today, most cyber insurance products are based on the revenues of a business when revenues don't really determine the cyber risk of the business. So it's this big disconnect. And that's also because there's not enough data. And the security side of things is extremely fragmented. Well, it's 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 not that there's not enough raw source data. It's just there's not enough data being used. Exactly. I mean, if you if I, I find it baffling that my my cyber carrier could could ask for my log files off my firewalls, which would tell them everything they need to know about the amount of traffic that's passing through my system, and it would tell them everything they need about potential attacks. They could snap into my IDS system and look at all the auto blocks my IDS is sending over my firewall, and mm-hmm. they could say, okay, well they're coming under attack you know, whatever X number of times a day, and they have this traffic from these places, it could make, it could, they could assess the risk so much better, but they don't, they they don't look at anything. They send me a questionnaire to fill out. It's a joke. Yep. And, and that one of the reasons is because security data is so fragmented as well. It's everywhere. There's so many tools, there's so many systems and you can't really normalize this data either to be able to assess it easily. So going back to secu- our insurance companies who are looking at this data, one, they all need to be security experts. And they're still getting to the point. 
no one really has security experts with at these insurance companies. So it's these different aspects which are all disconnected. And as a result, you are not able to correlate the real-time risk profile of a business with the claims that are happening. And Mm. hence, you don't have these statistically relevant models. Fascinating. Rob? Yeah. So I've heard from the past, right, that traditionally in insurance, you might look at historical losses in the last three years or five years, right? And you're going to make some kind of projection and future threats and things like that. But people have told me, Rob, like the cyber threat three or five years ago and the cyber threat today is radically different. In fact, I could look at network activity this morning and I could look at network activity this afternoon and I could tell you that the threat just is, you know, escalated tremendously just within the same day, right? So yeah, like how should this be priced? How should we think about it? And then maybe you can also share a little bit about this whole idea of a cyber cat, right? Like, so you always think of hurricanes or or wildfires, certainly where you're at in California and whatnot, but maybe you can describe a a cyber cat. Maybe we had one of those this week with the the Twitter attack. Oh, oh, Um, oh, that's a cyber cat event. Yes. (laughs) We're lucky it was just a Bitcoin attack. That's all it was, was a play for Bitcoin. They could have done way, they could have done way way more with access to those accounts. Yeah, being in their shoes, there was so much more opportunity there. Nope, didn't use it. (laughs) Well, glad that they did not use all of that. Me too. Yeah, so with respect to how we can assess it, even especially when all these threats keep changing every single second, I don't think there's a silver bullet yet. I don't think that we will have that silver bullet for at least a while. And that's because... There's still not enough claims. I think we need more claims. You know, as an insurance company, we don't want claims. But at the same time, if we want to progress as a holistic insurance company, we do need those claims. And when it comes to cats, one thing that we do foresee happening is more and more lines of insurance falling under cyber insurance. That is really the nightmare for me. Imagine someone hacking into Tesla and putting in a code that says that every car should turn left on January 1st. Mm. Now, how do you how do you rate that? Is that a cyber event? Is that auto-liability? Oh, no. Where does that fall under? And it's these events that we haven't really looked at as an industry to see what the impact could be. So I don't think that we are ready for a cat event. The industry is not. Yeah, it's, it's sobering. <laughs> yeah, it, no, we're not. We're not. I mean, look, did, did you see that? Did you see the new Hulu series devs? No, I've not. Oh yes. dear God, no, Sid! You got to go watch it. More time for TV. Yeah, it's called Devs, but it it actually means Deus. It's it's a it's about a it's about a tech company in Silicon Valley that I don't want to spoil it. They take quantum computing to the next logical conclusion of quantum computing because in quantum computing, if you get enough qubits, you can simulate every potential outcome of every potential action in the universe simultaneously. So you could predict every potential outcome all at once, right? That's the the whole point of qubits is that their computing capacity is squared, so it's exponential. So if you get to 50 to 60 qubits, if you get into the 200 qubit range, you can simulate more potential outcomes than there are atoms in the known universe. So it, it get, the numbers get really, really big and really scary all at once. And the, the problem with quantum computing is that you could hash an encryption algorithm in under a second, if you have a big enough quantum computer, you couldn't possibly design a traditional encryption algorithm that has a long enough bit length to block a quantum computer from hashing the entire thing at once. 
right? And that maybe I'm maybe I'm maybe I'm blog, blubbing some of the the phraseology because it's been a little while since I've really deep dived on this. But what's what's scary is that we we have some quantum computers that are really 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 powerful out there now, and we're still using binary computers to run encryption and decryption, and our entire ecosystem depends on TLS encryption. And so all these cars communicate over TLS, right? They're the, like all these Tesla cars are receiving updates over a secure TLS connection that connects to a web service somewhere on Tesla server farm. And so if you can hack into that, you can literally do a man in the middle attack in real time, right? And everyone's hosed. So we've, we've got this big looming threat of quantum computing, right? And I don't want to get too super duper nerdy, but I guess I already did. How do we deal with this? I mean, how can honest, honestly, your underwriting risk for some of the largest markets in the world right now. How do you even account for the fact that aside from the usual way people get in, and in this case with Twitter, it was people, right? It's always people. It's people yeah. people do stupid but things. They must buy. Yeah. yeah, they write passwords down all over the place, under the keyboard, behind the monitor. You know, it's the same places. They write passwords down. They throw, they throw passwords away in the trash. There's a lot of social engineering. They click on links they shouldn't. I mean, that's most of the time. How do you account? How do you underwrite the risk of a quantum when, when you're when you're facing a future in which all encryption algorithms could be broken? It really needs to be looked at that case by case basis, really, because you can't really generalize the use of one specific technology as leading to a holistic cat event. So, for example, if it is in, in, in this example with Teslas, yeah, that would be a completely different way of underwriting it versus the same thing for e-commerce businesses. I think it's that distinction that helps insurance as a whole manage their risk across these different portfolios. So the way that I look at it is in a scenario like this, where we are seeing the risk of quantum computers just destroying all, all encryption standards, in that scenario the underwriting would really be dependent on the loss that could occur for that specific business rather than the threat itself. Yeah. Because the underlying issue is what will happen to a business or what would happen to an individual. So how are you changing underwriting then? I mean, all right, first off, is Zagoro, are you are, did you write your own underwriting claims handling and policy management software or did you use off-the-shelf solutions? It's a mix, a mix of both. So with Zeguro, for us, the whole underwriting is automated. So with cyber insurance today, we probably are one of the very few companies where a customer can get a code and bind in less than five minutes. As long as you're not in Texas. I tried. Sorry. <laughs> yep. Not as of today. When are you coming uh, to Texas, man? 28 million people, $1.6 trillion GDP. When, when are you coming? Two weeks? Oh, you heard it here. Two weeks from now, coming to the great state of Texas. Yeehaw. Okay. Backstory on that. So we had to stop selling in Texas yesterday yeah, or two days ago because we are bringing out a new product. Gotcha. So for two weeks, we are taking a break from Texas and you will have a new product there. So it's literally when I was trying to go and do this and prep, yeah, exactly. prep for the, uh, the podcast. <laughs> so, so yeah, so you, you, have, you have followed the pattern of other digital MGAs and other, other yes. you know, insure tech but, carriers where you're, but then, you're rapidly streamlining underwriting. Yes, but then at the same time, it's like the safe driver model. That's what we follow, where these smaller businesses, they have absolutely no idea about cybersecurity. Last year, 
69% of US SMBs had a cyber breach. So for these businesses who don't know what to do, we are taking that role of a security consultant and automating that in a self-service SaaS platform. And it's really this platform that also gives us the information and the insights to do the underwriting. And we tell the business, look, these are the things that you should be doing, like enable two-factor on your G Suite account and your premium will go down by $500. It's really linking these two things together rather than having these as distinct entities because at the end, cyber insurance should really be the most connected form of insurance. And that's what we are going for. More so than than modern auto carriers that have OBD ports and are monitoring every single second you're driving? Of course. I mean, cyber, cyber right? It should be. <laughs> it should be, but it's not. It's like the least connected one of all the ones I have. All my coverage is, I mean, of course, general liability. They they pull almost nothing on what's going on in the business. They just take a wild stab at the risk. It's it's a mind boggling. But in cyber, you know, they they have me fill out a questionnaire every year. And that's it. Now, they I'll tell you this. You know, co- the, the the ones the ones I've worked with, and I've I've had a few different cyber carriers over the years. They're getting much better at bringing partners to the table and offering optional solutions. Now, I created an account with Seguro, and I. It said I couldn't get a quote in Texas. I'm like, okay, no quote in Texas. But I was able to create an account and start monitoring a domain. So you're providing services that like folks like White Hat provide, where you have uh, routine monitoring and web application monitoring. You have security policy authoring and management, where you can actually build an author and publish security policies. You've got an app marketplace, so you can snap into pen testing, phishing defense, hands-on secure coding. You've got that. You have training as well, which is so you're 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 doing something interesting because because pretty much everyone else I've seen has just partnered with others, and while you're partnering with some, you're providing the majority of what other cyber partners are are partnering on. So talk to me about that for a second. Yeah, that is right because some things have not evolved as much. So with cybersecurity, as we were talking about earlier, the data is extremely fragmented. There's really no correlation between the data that comes out of some training provider and the data that comes out of a security policy management system. But if you think about the core need of any of these smaller businesses, it's people, it's security professionals. And that's that's what a CISO does at a large enterprise is look across all the aspects of a business, process all of that information in their brains and spit out what needs to be done. And that's our goal, is to look at all of these. And this can only be done through providing some of these services ourselves, the core services ourselves. But then at the same time, there are a few things that we don't want to reinvent the wheel on. And that's where we partner. Rob? That's uh, really fascinating, Sid. So I'm kind of curious, what's on your future roadmap? We've seen you know, other digital MGAs become full-stack carriers, not necessarily in the cyberspace, but right other lines of business, you know, geographic expansion. I'm just kind of curious, you know, what what's on your roadmap over the next five years? Yeah, for us, it's uh, really about growing our customer base and getting to our mission, which is to empower every business to withstand the digital unknown. And that can only be done by expanding our product feature set within the security side by really automating that role of a security consultant. So most of our product is focused on that. 
And on the insurance side, of course, it's that data play. That's collecting the security data over time, collating that with any claims that we might see. We haven't yet, but in the future, as we see those, collating that and getting to those statistically relevant models. We don't foresee ourselves to be a carrier anytime in the near future because we have some great partners. We need, yep, we need money. We don't have- A a lot of money. a lot of it's cap. not like a little bit of money. <laughs> so what what would you need? Three to one? More you... than that, I would say in cyber because it had to be because, right. The the the, yeah. the, the severity is so large, right? It's like everything's yes. a cat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like what five to one? I mean, it would be yeah. a it'd be an enormous amount of capital to yes. to to become a carrier. And what's happening right now is with the SMB space, every company is asking for really high coverage limits. And that's because of the contracts. So you take any large company which wants to partner with any small business supplier or vendor, and the contract requirements talk about $5 million in cyber liability. So a small business with 500000 in revenue still has to get... 5 million in liabilities. So this drastically increases the capital requirements for a carrier. And we, yeah, we have some fine. amazing partners like the Hartford Steam Boiler in Munich Re, so we are, we are fine with having them take on some of the risk. Yeah, you're spot on to it. I think that 5 million does tend to be kind of a minimum and you're absolutely right. You know, it doesn't matter how small your company is. If you do business with a large company because of the potential threat to that large company, right? They want to make sure that, you know, if it's caused because of you, right? That you have appropriate coverage. So yeah, I think you're really spot on with that, right? So we know that with the target breach a few years back, right? It was through the HVAC company, right? Mm -hmm. Which is probably much smaller, of course, than Target being a, a humongous retailer. So yeah, I think that's a great point. I'm kind of curious, Sid, maybe you can, what is your distribution strategy? Is it more just to kind of work with small and medium-sized businesses on the security aspects of it? And then you like, oh, by the way, we can sell you cyber coverage, or is it more, you know, insurance first? And oh, by the way, we have this you know, suite of services and expertise that we offer. Or maybe you can just share a little bit about kind of what your go-to-market strategy has yeah. been and how you see it evolving. Yeah, we go both routes because... What we see is that these smaller businesses, we don't want to do, want them to go bankrupt because of a cyber breach. So if they want insurance, then yes, we'll give them insurance, but also tell them as to what they should be doing to protect themselves and get them on the platform. And then over time, decrease their premiums as they get more secure. Or the other way around, where quite a few of them come to us for the cybersecurity side of things. And then we, when they're ready for insurance then they have it right there. But distribution for us has very much been about direct-to-customer so far. But, you know, channels are still a great way to distribute cyber insurance and cybersecurity, whether it is through MSPs or through brokers. That's where we're heading to. So let's talk about data. I want this to be our, because we're, we're edging up on time. So let's kind of our Let's wrap up with a data talk. How are you gathering more information than everybody else? We talked about everybody else not gathering information. So I, I looked at your partner page. You're not partnered with Palo Alto. You're not partnered with Alert Logic. You're not partnered with these major IDS systems that would give you immediate intel on intrusions and detections and auto blocks. Why not? Is that on the roadmap? Are you bringing in server logs? Are you bringing in attack logs? Are you partnering with IDS systems? Are you jumping into the firewall? What's on the plans to actually acquire more of this data so you can you can make much more intelligent underwriting and renewal decisions? Yep, and it's through partnerships. So you hit it right on the head, which is, yep, we are partnering with some of these companies or it's on the roadmap to partner with them. 
And it's these integrations that will really get us that data. Right now, it's more on the behavioral side of things. Right? That's really the company's risk appetite looking at that. And the goal is to get that real-time data from these partners. So for example, you know, our partners that we partner with today, which some of them you see in the marketplace as well, we have that data agreement with them as well, where we get some of that data to understand the risk appetite and the risk of the business. But definitely, we have to partner with firewalls, with endpoint prediction systems to get that information. Yeah. So you're so partnering and then by partnering, not just offering a discount because on your partner marketplace, I saw discounts, but a true data partnership where when your clients sign up for their system, you're going to get a data back feed so you can monitor what's going on. Exactly. And then ideally, if they write insurance with you, now you have a straight up non-insurance service offering where you can get spend as much as $600 a month with you um, getting monitored. If I'm an insurance client, do I get those security tools for free or do I still have to pay for them? Okay. No, you get it for free. So our startup package, everyone gets it for free during the lifetime of the policy. And for the premium packages, they get a discount on those packages. Yeah. And and so that's going to scan my web apps, provide security training, provide security, security policies. And then I'm going to have cyber insurance on top of all of that. Yes. But the starter comes for free. So I can at least scan one app, get security training for 10 team members, have some policies and add my own stuff and get to town. So, I mean, this, yep. yeah, it's a compelling offering. I'm excited. So where are you at and where are you going? Like roughly, if, if, you know, whatever you can tell me. I don't, I don't want to, you know, obviously, whatever, whatever you're comfortable saying. How many policies do you have? Where, where do you want to go? Yeah, I can't give you all the numbers, but yeah, we we have been writing insurance for 18 months in all 50 states and D.C. Nice. Except for the last two weeks as or, or for the next two weeks, as I mentioned. But we have quite a few policies in the market, no losses yet. And that's that's the goal here, right? Which is to keep the loss ratios low. And you will see some more announcements in the next few weeks, which I can't talk about right now. Oh, you don't want to do an announcement on the podcast? <laughs> Come on, bud. And I should have waited for two more weeks for the podcast. Yeah, well, I can I can embargo this thing for two weeks and yeah. we can do it then. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. Well, Sid, it's been a really great discussion. I, I know I tend to d- dive down the technology rabbit hole. That's who I am. But I but I appreciate your willingness to dive down there with me and talk about it. Digital MGAs, really, you know, we, we certainly have talked to a lot of technology service providers that provide technology services for traditional companies, but there's a whole other half pool that Rob and I talked to, and that's companies that decided to bypass the being a service provider and just be an insurance company. And uh, it's ex- it's really exciting to see what you're doing. We wish you absolute a ton of success. Um, excited you. that you're in the market, excited you're doing what you're doing. If you, if you wise up like so many other hundreds of thousands of Californians and decide you want to come not pay state income tax and move to the, the state of Texas, then let us know. It's a very, very tempting deal. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Offer and that's definitely on top of the list. Just remember, even if you don't get an incentive from the state of Texas, it's still a 10% pay raise to move to the state of Texas. So that is that yes. is true. Yes. And <laughs> I married into a family that has a base in Austin. So. Oh, he's coming. He's coming. <laughs> it's gonna happen. I can I can feel it. I can feel it. It's coming. Yeah. Well, we we look forward to having you headquartered in Austin. It's it, it is it is an amazing place. But regardless of whatever you decide to do, Sid. Uh, really great information. For those of you out there who want more information on this company, Zeguro, Z-E-G-U-R-O. That's like the Spanish Seguro, security. Which means but with a Z. security. Security, yes. yeah, exactly. They they just self-branded, but it's Z. 
S-E-G-U-R-O.com. You can sign up there. You can you can go quote insurance. You can go also sign up for their, their whole security suite if you don't want to buy insurance from them yet. Uh, you can get their security suite and check it out there. And obviously, you can connect with Sid, I'm sure, on LinkedIn and uh, other social media platforms. Sid, uh, really great. Uh, Rob, of course, I don't want to shortchange you here. Any any closing comments? Nope. It's great to be with you, Sid. Love hearing about your company and uh, excited what you guys are doing at Zero. Congrats and good luck. Look forward to future announcements. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much. Really, really appreciate you guys having me on here. Yeah, and if and if anybody out there, including Sid, is interested in learn and seeing a show all about quantum computing, Hulu aired a series called Devs, D-E-V-S. Go check it out. It has Nick Offerman in it, who's the guy who's like my favorite character from uh, Parks and Rec, the government employee who hated working for the government. That was him. Nick Offerman's a brilliant actor. He is actually the one one of the lead actors in Devs, and it'll blow your mind. It'll make you question everything about reality. It'll also make you question everything about cybersecurity. Go check it out. It's called Devs on Hulu. And, of course, you can check out Zaguro.com for more information about them. Thank you so much for joining us today for yet another uh, super fun InsureTech Geek podcast. We appreciate you being here. Uh, I want to remind you that the InsureTech Geek podcast powered by JB Knowledge is all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. I've been your host, James Benham, with co-host Rob Galbraith. That's endofinsurance.com. Thanks to Jim Greenlee, our podcast producer, and Kara Daltonaro, our creative producer. And thank you for joining us. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech. So enjoy the ride and geek out. See you next time. 